Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Ding-a-ling-a-ling. That's Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh. Oh, atrocious. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Get your powdered wigs ready. It's time to discuss a period drama. Hello. (laughs) I am Richard. With me to discuss a film is Lord Regent Anthony of the Evans. Good day. Also joining him and I on the podcast. Oh, this is this is yeah, Lady McBain of the McBainington Estate. I I fight. No. No. I'm an OG Bane. The mucks come under us. Oh. <laughs> well. Put me in my place. I'm sorry, your ladyship, um, <laughs> Countess Countess Bain, and me, uh, peasant and uh, fool. Anyway, I will dispense the faux frivolities, and uh, we can pick up the regular old frivolities of just discussing it the normal way without any, you know, stupid implications. Uh, yeah, this week's film was Bell. With an E on the end, B-E-L-L-E, Bell. Like Beauty and the Beast, that Bell. You know, the one who liked books, singing, and bestiality. Only not her. But this is a different Bell. A Dido Bell. <laughs> um, but yes, Abby, can you provide more clarity than I am currently by explaining what film we're doing and who made it and stuff? Well, I would certainly hope so. <laughs> Bell is from 2013. It is a British period drama directed by Ama Asante, written by Miss Ansege, and produced by Damon Jones. It stars Gugu Mabatha-Raw, Tom Wilkinson, Miranda Richardson, Penelope Wilton, Sam Reed, Matthew Good, Emily Watson, Sarah Gaddon, Tom Felton, and James Norton. It is inspired by the story, well, this is by a painting, in fact, of Dido Elizabeth Bell, who was the illegitimate mixed-race daughter of... Sir John Lindsay, who was the nephew of Earl Man- the Earl of Mansfield at the time, who was the Lord Chief Justice of England. And there's this whole court case about slaves on a ship that is relevant. It's more complicated than I first thought. Yeah, so, um, it's, you know, fundamentally, it's a Jane Austen-esque uh, period drama. But it does have that political kind of race politics uh, through through line, doesn't it, as well? It's mm. not just about, I must get married to the right man, or else I'll be ashamed. Yeah, we'll get to how, um, just how period drama it is mm. in a yeah. minute. But yeah, it was inspired by a painting. That's a good painting. I saw the painting uh, before the end credit. Uh, at the end, they show you the painting, and I think midway through the the film, you see a variation on the painting, so that the actual actress is in it, rather than, you know, the woman it's based on. Anyway, like it's it is interesting for the starting point to be a painting, but also perhaps uh, the story comes from the family who you know the the relatives of the people it's about wanting to sort of venerate and uh, bring up. Their, their claim to history that they're connected to uh, sort of fairly unique circumstances of like a 
rich, powerful family having a mixed race, like daughter who's also from a what was it what was it, it was the whole thing it was like she's she's mixed race that's controversial in the 1700s but also she's illegitimate she's also, yeah um and there's also a lovely painting about it that's a, those are the facts i guess and then yeah. and then the family are bringing forth like you know the connection to the the cold case as if it was more important than it actually was or something is it yeah in um discussion about the film an actual historian described it he likened it to the uh morgan and wife sketch of andre previn where they're playing all of the right notes but not necessarily in the right order no which i thought was that's films do that quite often so i think as long Mm. as they're not deliberately misleading people in a like in a negative way then it's okay to put things in an order that suit film yeah, we can definitely open up the discussion more broadly as we go uh, with specifics. Um, but yeah, you know, all, I mean, all films about reality have to, uh, you know, manoeuvre the facts to fit into the conventions of storytelling. Or at least they do, usually. They don't have to, I suppose. So, Abby, why did you pick this film? At the time of recording this... We're still in the the throes of the rights and the Black Lives Matter movement globally. And there's been a lot of discussion about um, representation in literature and film and all that kind of thing. And being a film fan, as I am, stuff has come up on my radar. So I thought that, you know, something that we could do as a group would to be do something with... I've chosen a black female director as the inspiration for this picking choice of Belle. Ah, so a bit of positive discrimination. I see. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, that's true. I mean, context plays uh, into lots of things. We try try and leave the the time frame we're in out of the podcast usually, but it does. It's definitely going to color. Oh, is that a bad choice of words? (laughs) It's definitely going to color what we how we look at this film. So, like, usually we we talk about our like history with the film. Or why we wanted to look at it, or whatever. But in this case, because you, you were sort of like, oh, thinking about uh, representation, diversity in, uh, particularly in this case, the film industry. Like it would be, it would be remiss not to point out that when we recorded this, it was uh, a f- several weeks after the George Lloyd incident that sparked a huge, uh, you know, social and political uprising and. We, you know, we don't know what will come of it, apart from the little things we've seen so far. But, um, so you particularly wanted to pick out a film by a director and a writer, and even starring uh, some, I believe the term is women of colour, but it always sounds, or people, like, I don't, I, I, the, of the people of colour thing, for me, doesn't sit right in my mouth, because everyone is the fucking same, but... You did want to pick people, like you wanted to pick black director, writer, or star. What was it? You know, was it all of those factors, or the the, the fact that the piece is about race more specifically, or? Well, my original notion was just to try and do a, a black female director, but then I also, with this one, happened to get a black female writer and a black female star, so it was it was. I was happy when so, that happened, but it was coincidental. Yeah, it was just sort of... It, there is a limited number of uh, films directed by black women. Uh, I think, notably, we looked at... 
uh, a dry white season, which is really uh, interesting and well made film. But we decided for this one because it was just they're more fun things to talk about, I guess. Because like uh, dry white season is quite harrowing. Um, not that we can't handle it. It's just this one seemed like oh the period drama aspect of this seems like fun ground to have a chat about. Um, you know there is a a huge disparity in the number of like white directors and black directors and then on top of that black female directors and writers and stuff there's just there's a huge disparity that needs addressing but you know what can you do other than you know talk about and go see the films by whoever you know Hmm. so yeah i don't think we're doing any political activism by reviewing this but it is good to look at a film and chat about it without dismissing it as oh trifling not a not a white director not interested i don't know well no the only thing we can really do from our little platform that we've got is just to point and go look that's nice isn't it well well, in some cases it's oh don't look at that ever again (laughs) but in this case spoilers for my opinion look this was was quite good (laughs) it can get get dragged across the cause like anything else anyway like i'm not gonna that's the thing if you if if the world is to be an equal playing field I'm not going to pretend aspects of this film didn't annoy me, <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> um, I haven't seen this before. Uh, I have seen a bunch of other similar period dramas, I guess. So it wasn't uh, new territory for me in, in terms of the genre. But yeah, I didn't have any, ex- any expectation. I don't think I'd seen any of the films by the director anyway. I think she does... often picks up the theme of like uh, mixed race and mixed race relations and things like that in our other films, but I don't know much about anyone. There's a few actors I recognise, but that was it. Uh, Anthony, yourself, how, where was uh, where were you at when this film came up? Um, same with you, um, in terms of, I've you know, I've seen plenty of period dramas, so that doesn't bother me. Um, I, I did have a... The only expectation I had, like, I, I, I do remember seeing, like, the trailers when it first came out, and I remembered this feeling of, uh, like, uh, the tone of the trailers seemed to suggest it wasn't going to be as um, hard-hitting as it probably should have been, considering, like, the themes on discussion, uh, up for discussion in the film. It seemed a bit like light, and it looked a bit like you know, like um, Jane Austen-y, uh, almost kind of um, a fairy tale kind of period drama, if you know what I mean. Which mm. I felt might not quite suit, you know, the the theme of like racial racial relations in like the nineteenth century. Uh, yeah, when wait, when was this set? Because the, the whole, it's the set. Is it the seventeen hundreds? Well, the the painting itself was from seventeen seventy nine, so I would assume that they were eighteenth. Okay. For... So eighteenth century. Eighteenth century. It is confusing though, because it's always that like when you say the seventeen hundreds, that tells you the, the what year it is, but then you say the century, and you have to click yourself back one. Plus, I, I think most people, when you go beyond 1900, ah, oh, it's all just the past. They could be wearing powder wigs or loincloths for all I know after that. So, um, yeah, it's the whole, everyone wears, if they're rich, they wear, you know, powdered wigs and tricon hats and frilly garments. 
for all uh, for the usual spoiler filled listeners you will fill in your wig bingo card later in the film you have to wait oh, a yeah. long time but once they come <laughs> my gosh they come yeah they don't quite have some of the audacity of some of the wigs in other pieces like Amadeus or uh, what's that oh, um, McLean Plunkett, uh, Plunkett and McLean or anything there's there's no big showy wigs but there's a fucking range of them and oof when the poli- when all the politicians and court case people all the uh, yeah I guess when the court case scene happens it's like fucking hell every single one of these stupid wigs has a different design so fair play to the costume department and in general the clothes are like pretty fucking uh, pristine and precise and well I don't actually know if they're historically accurate but they look at it and they look splendid and like, uh, you know, authentic, I thought, you know? Hmm. But yeah, oh, oof, wig time. Wow, that's the real reason, Abby, isn't it? We're all we're always like, anything that's weird and on a head, we're all about on this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that says about us. Yeah. You're right, you're right though, Anthony. Um, it, it, it does present itself as a sort of light, fluffy romantic drama. Like Jane Austen, it's not like she does uh, terrible... Well, she wrote books, essentially, that get adapted over and over again, prove very popular, even to this day. But, you know, it's nothing wrong with Jane Austen's films, but they are of a type, and there's a lot of tropes and a lot of uh, conventions of them that this film very much falls into. And I think this film was just hoping to be like a Jane Austen, but we're going to do a nice... like with the, with a, a zingy taste of you know, racial politics um, and maybe feeling like uh, a minority in your family and, you know, it's it's definitely trying to make a point about fitting in as an, an outsider, in this case because of the colour of your skin and the society in which you live in, I suppose. But, you know, the 17th century was hugely... Uh, you know, racist and different, but there's still you know, the very fact that in 2020 race is still a huge political problem and issue means that it's still this this subject matter, you know, is valuable, even if it is in a sort of Jane Austen esque uh, period drama focused on relationships and uh, polite society etiquette, isn't it? Hmm. It's it. Um, it was kind of a weird switcheroo. For me, because there's there's kind of there's two kind of like storylines. There's the the kind of um, not romance storyline, but um, her marriage status storyline, mm. um, which I which I thought would be fraught with more, you know, um, adversity, but it, it was it, it went weirdly like that storyline went weirdly all right for her considering hmm. um and then there's the other story which i didn't know was such a big part of the film from like the trailer and stuff which was the court case that her uncle is residing over about the slaves being thrown overboard kind of thing and that you know i, I was glad that that was there because that added a lot more weight to the actual discussion hmm. Hmm. But yeah, like, but like I was saying, like the first story, it felt like that. You know, watching the trailer, it felt like the, the film was just going to be that. So it surprised me how little conflict was actually in that part of the story. If you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Hmm. 
I think uh, when was this made, Abby? Two thousand and three was it, or thir- what, thirteen? Thirteen, right, right, right. So I'm just trying to place myself mentally. What the world was more like? What the film landscape was like? What other things were around it? I don't know. They, this this film, I think, uh, period dramas of this nature, they can be promoting diversity by just having colorblind casting and going, look, mm. rich people, you know, weren't, they were all white people usually, at least in Britain, and it would be a very big anomaly. But, you know, they, you can just colorblind cast things if you want to do something in this. It's not that important to go for accuracy unless that's, I don't know, I guess you could you could want accuracy if you're a filmmaker, but you can you can just promote diversity and do a period drama and not care about it and everyone just goes, yeah, that's fine. But this one definitely wanted to say, we've got a weird story here. There was this uh, one uh, aristocrat or aristocratic daughter who uh, stood out and had this remarkable painting of her and then had a family that uh, were at least connected to the politics of the law in its regard to like basically treating slaves like uh, objects you own and it was all tied up with insurance and things and you know there's a, there's a huge you know awful political story to be told that this this woman in a painting relates to and so they've obviously decided let's take all of this stuff and see if we can polish it into a, a sort of mainstream movie that works as a kind of Jane Austen-esque thing and it's a really weird but uh, interesting thing to do I think that's part of it's weird that the thing that makes it slightly duller is also the thing that is intellectually more interesting because they have packaged what could have been quite incendiary material inside a very normal period drama yeah very safe like it's all about uh sitting in um fancy estate houses in period dress uh creating drama through uh people disobeying really fuddy duddy etiquette or saying the wrong thing or not knowing their place or and and then it's a, like it's you know it's about the uniquely weird social environment that was uh rich people in the past <laughs> but you know like all that sort of like you can't do this thing that normal people do by modern day standards because of some tiny hurdle by modern day standards like it's all like but the... there's also they weirdly sanitize the stuff like she gets assaulted in the bushes and it's it's done in such a way you where it's not fine but it's not actually depicted as something awful, you know. I think uh, part of I mean that I mean it comes a lot later. We haven't contextualised anything, but the the fact that uh, sexual abuse happens as a sort of minor bump in the road for the character, uh, I think I think it's I think it suggests that the character of uh, Belle or Dido or whatever she. At that point, when that happened, I did think, oh, this could definitely take a turn for scandal where, like, the two families food because, uh, you know, they're of differing classes. Like, I don't know, like, you, you expect there to be a whole lot more drama from it because, oh, the mixed race girl has 
claimed that she's been molested, but also generally society would say it's perfectly fine for rich white people to do that, and that she's a lesser person because of her race and she's illegitimate and all this, and that you could have imagined it going a much more turbulent and awful direction. Like it's almost like you know, it's very very big of her not to scream and 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 get the guy shamed out of society or cause a big Ferrari, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. Mm. Launching into this is, a, I feel a bit premature talking about that aspect of it, but um. Aye, aye. Sorry. What do you? Uh, is there anything that you wanted to say about it other than that, or? It will be easy to talk about once we've contextualised it a bit later. I just wanted an example of something that was oddly sanitised during the film. Yeah, there's definitely aspects where you go, this is just a nothing uh, romantic drama. <laughs> but then, mm. you know, it, and it could have it could have gone a different direction and it could have gone a different direction and be shit as well. Like, I don't know, there's uh, any number of ways you could you could tackle this subject. But for the most part, it's a fairly well-polished piece anyway. Mm. Maybe, maybe too much polish, though. Um, okay, let's wind back, talk about the specifics of what went on through the plot a bit. Uh, we start off. We start off with. Um, so I find it very difficult to remember her dad's name because he was in this role of half a fart. Um, Sir John Lindsay goes to collect his child from attic. From where? Near, near some docks. And where did you? Oh, sorry, where do you think? There's just some. There's just an attic near some docks. An attic. Oh, right. I thought it was a place there. I didn't know. <laughs> and first, um, I'm giving the first trope stamp to offering a child. I'm going to go with chocolate, although it's very difficult to identify what it is that he gave this little girl as a sign of, look, I'm nice. I've given you generic food. Generic food. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's exotic. Uh, I mean, it's it's food from probably her country or so, like, like I don't know. Like it's exotically produced, expensive food. Chocolate wasn't by no means. It was a luxury good, definitely. It's very. It is very much a trope, though. Just in in general in films, if you think about it, like think of like ET and um, stuff like that, where they give them chocolate to tempt them. Right. He did. I did find it weird because, like, he gave her the chocolate and she ate it, and then he laughed, and I'm like, that was a bit odd. I've po- <laughs> I've poisoned her. <laughs> it's just that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter whether you're like a GI or a paedophile. There's definitely a trope in all films of like the best way to a child's trust is with confectionery. Mm-hmm. He then takes the kid who we will come to know as Dido back to Kenwood House and they have that awkward conversation in a corridor. Yeah, they have one uh, particularly splendid corridor in this manor house. I mean, I was, when we were, like, watched it the first time, then we re- I rewatched it uh, to talk about, and then I was thinking, God, there's not that many locations. They've dressed them well. But this corridor's getting a lot of action, considering it's not a very predominant room of the house, is it? Like, it's just, like, we're going this, like, grand corridor with some I guess it has the biggest and fanciest looking paintings. Uh, specifically, they've put... I don't know if they put them there or if they were in the house this way. But they've got focus on uh, paintings that have uh, like huge, expensive old paintings. But they also feature people of like you know some sort of dark-skinned 
you know what I mean? Like they, they, I don't I don't know anything about the paintings they got there, but they put an emphasis on the fact that they got black people in the paintings being represented in some way. I have a little uh, tidbit. Yeah. About the actual painting this is based on was remarkable at the time because it was one of the first that actually put black and white subjects on the same level in the painting. They didn't have it so that black was lower and looking up at white. They actually had them more or less neck and neck, as it were, within the painting. And you notice that with the paintings that she's looking at through the house, is that it's always black people, in most cases children, so that it's not as weird, Mm. looking up at the white people in the painting. Yeah, and often uh, it was commonplace to, if you're going to represent, like, uh, black people, you're probably going to portray them more as savages and uh, not capture them so normally. But then painting was a, it was a different form as well. Like, painting was about uh, showing... It was a kind of form of, like, propaganda. It was a form of, like, elevating yourself and telling people about you it wasn't like painting became literal a bit later there you know there's a lot more going on with what painters were supposed to be doing and saying so it's not like you know it's not like painting is photographs where we represent the truth you sort of tell a story through an image mm. i don't know but yeah i mean they used this big old corridor and they had uh some incredible backdrops of these huge paintings and it does, but it does seem like the big stuff in the, her life seemed to happen in this corridor, <laughs> like the big decisions and arguments. There's like the odd one around the breakfast table, uh, but then maybe part of the theme of the piece is Dido is slightly excluded from formal uh, engagements with other families and stuff. So maybe as a character they wanted to show she was an outsider. She was she had her food separately, so. It makes sense for the film to take part. The corridors of power is where she... No, no, that's the wrong phrase. But outside of the main room is where her life takes place because there's an element of shame involved. It's also a non-space as well. And she inferred that that's what she feels like she lives in because she's not one nor the other. Yeah, she's both... like. Well, this is the, this is the thing. The, the plot starts to... This, uh, you know... We don't... Her dad... Who has presumably just as a when he was a mariner had sex with some woman, like at some dock, and then they've had a child. But she, the mother's died. Is that right? And then he, as a gentleman with honour, has decided to adopt uh, and legitimise his. Uh, uh, what's the term? Like she a bastard? How does it work? Yeah, that, that that's yeah, that's the correct term, I suppose. Yeah, she's a bastard. You heard Anthony. She's a little bastard. <laughs> no, but the the um, you know the, we we just this guy's he's lovely. He gives her chocolate and then brings her home and basically tells his uncle that look, if anything should happen to me and it fucking will, uh, you are to raise her as <laughs> as my legitimate heir and daughter, please. And then everyone's like. What's the word they used to refer to it? The Mokan, was it? Oh, mulatto? Mulatto. What's that? Is that a place? Or, or is, that, is it just an awful racist term that I'm now using out of context? Or what? What's a mulatto? It's, it's the term for someone who is half black and half white that was popular at the time. Right, right. Okay. Anyway, they so they 
bring up the fact that she's like, uh, hello, have you seen the colour of her skin? She isn't a white person. That That's not going to fly in 1700s Britain. Um, and he's like, don't care, mate. Fucking, she's my daughter. If she got my blood in her and stuff, then fuck you. I'm now off to die <laughs> at sea and never be seen again. I am... I'm not quite sure what to make of her dad's approach to this, really. Because he didn't marry her mum, so she was born illegitimate. He did recognise her later on, but failed to tell his family that she was black before he brought her there. Well, you don't want them to object to you. They wouldn't let her come. But then he also went, now you have to look after her, and I'm leaving goodbye. It's a bit like... <laughs> hmm. Yes, well done. You're being at least being presented as if you are non-prejudice. Uh, or, like, uh, remarkable for the time that you would be so... Uh, treat your daughter that way. But also, oh, you're still a misogynistic man from a time period where men fucked off to sea and didn't care for their family directly. And it's also... That's still the case of, like, uh, you know, within, like, richer households. You know, you go to private school... You raise your fa- like men often raise their family at a distance. It's not the intimate uh, relationship you have with your children in that society, and, and sometimes now. So it is like you know, yeah, he's a dickhead, but he's a dickhead given that his time period, like rich aristocrats, would just be away from their family. Like women are second-class citizens, even even if like black women are treated the same as white women women are still lesser than men it's, it's still the context they're in isn't it so mm. you know we'd be here all day complaining about how the 1700s were a big old pile of shit <laughs> you know <laughs> but the uncle is more of the uh, he's almost like a second protagonist isn't he really what's his face mm. um, what's the actor's name Tom Tom Pilton. Tom sorry Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. He gets about, doesn't he? He's, he's always turning up as mm. bit, bit parts in uh, crimes and dramas and period pieces. I can't say I've ever gone, oh, he's great, but he's appeared consistently enough for me to uh, know that he is uh, an old hand at this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was certainly... Uh, I think he played it right. I think I think it was like a... He did it down the middle, didn't he? Where he has to be sympathetic because he's a, a fairly liberal person within his society, but he also has to be like a, a fuddy-duddy toff who doesn't want to change the world too much at, at a time, and has, and has grown up. Like he, you know, he gets the the balance of being an antagonist to the main character, but also a likable person who you don't route against. He has to be on the fence, doesn't he? Right till the end. You have to not know whether he's going to be a dick or not, I guess. They do play that correctly when he's... By virtue of his position, he has to withhold a lot of information and a lot of his opinions in order to remain neutral as a judge. So Mm. that means it's okay that you don't really know what he's going to do until the end, because you shouldn't know. If he's doing his job correctly, you should not know what he's going to do. Yeah, his character is one of... uh, I may be in a position of power, but my sympathies do lie... I, I think they're telling a story of him. He worked his way into his position where he's like a, some important judge. And then he comes into contrast with the sort of uh, love interest of Dido because 
that he's a bloody vicar's son. Fucking clergy. Fucking clergy, mate. You're basically a fucking puddle-dwelling peasant. How dare you, you upstart. <laughs> so the boyfriend-ish figure is, is having a sort of... Oh, we need to talk about him. Uh, a duel of wits with with the da- with the uncle because, well, I want to make it to the world and change. I, I'm not uh, some country bumpkin. I want to live in the city and be a lawyer and fight for justice and and all that shit. And you have hypocrisy where you you think I am lesser, but you in fact had to get into your position through working hard. And there's a lot of fucking you know, po-faced arguing about the hypocrisies of the system. I don't know. You want to talk about the guy? It gets my next bingo card stamp for uh, two lovers who get off the wrong foot at the start. Classic. <laughs> Shitting. <laughs> you haven't written a good rom-com unless you fucking hate the person you're going to fall in love with at first. <laughs> it was so perfectly done as well when he's apologising and she's like, we haven't been properly introduced. And then... Uh, the guy says, can you give this letter to Neil Mansfield? And the butler says, yes, I will. And she goes, she will not interrupt you during dinner. And the whole time she's not leaving laying eyes on him. She's got her back to him. And it's just like, ah, oh, you too. This is inevitable. The die was cast instantly. Hmm. I like the but- butler going like, uh, yeah, that's fine. Yes, that's fine immediately after the food and stuff. Like he says it more formally. <laughs> it was just like... Yeah, well, I, I, I will like I will endlessly toe the line of whatever I'm told and try to please everyone. In fact, the the other aspect that doesn't come into this is how the household feels. Like you don't know. I mean, I don't know if the sort of working class people who run the or even middle class, some of them would be so like fairly middle class running a, a state like that. But the the people who you know the servant class then what they would have felt about... Because uh, they would have been presumably just partially, you know, vaguely racist. It was a, you know, it was a racist time. So, like, they would have been a bit, oh, who's that? like, you know, why this family have got a dark-skinned lady that I have to serve. But obviously, uh, I guess you just do what the boss says. So, you, you know, any of your prejudice doesn't come into it. Plus, the, I don't know, maybe the servants would have liked her because she, if she was a nice person, it wouldn't matter, would it? What You know. But well, they, didn't, they, they didn't deal with it in the film as that could be an issue. Yeah, they put it so that... I'm not sure if Mabel was in their household at the very start, but once Belle encounters this black... This black Welsh maid. Yeah. Hmm. I want to know her story. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, that was like how, first of all, they're either in Bristol or in London. So why do they have a black Welsh maid? <laughs> I don't get it. Well, you're just prejudice, Abby. Can't can't there be black Welsh people who don't live in Wales or Africa? What is your point? I know it's just it seems like she would be quite unique in her own way well, to be Welsh down. and black. Then <laughs> so prejudice, Abby. <laughs> I, I know what you mean, though. It was just it was just unexpected for her to have a Welsh accent. It's like what? Okay. <laughs> and the way we're usually depicted in stories like this is, if we're very lucky, we've made it up to rich farmer. Yeah, bumpkin town, isn't it, for Welsh people usually? Yeah. 
But higher your standards, Abby. You could be a pleasant. You can be a pleasant maid. You don't have to be a bumpkin. <laughs> no, they did. They obviously uh, highlighted the fact that. I mean, the, part of the thing for doing it is they wanted to show that uh, Dido Bell, who has grown up as a lady in this larger state and has been given all the advantages of her her cousin's sister, who is also in a similar predicament, but she's uh, more conveniently white in Britain. Like, so what's her, her cousin is a... This is slightly confusing, because the mum and the cousin have the same name. Oh. It's Elizabeth. They usually refer to the mum as Mama, and then it's Lady Elizabeth is the, the young one. And her she's also a legitimate child, as well as Belle, and they're cousins and raised like sisters, is it? Is that... Yeah, her... Mum, so Lady Elizabeth's mum died, I think, but because her dad remarried, it means that the children he has from the new marriage get all the money. Uh-huh. So she saw well, that, you know, in terms of the, the family and estates and marrying people off, she's at a loose end and is, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of like uh, stuff about the pressures to marry daughters off to equal or better people and what that does and it it's that weird thing of yeah in the past in this, these time periods it was not relationships didn't happen out of love or anything as contrite and contrary as that it was all about uh making the right political inroads with different families of influence and then kind of you're almost backing a horse rather than you know mm. Marrying two people who like each other, like you're basically going off. I, if we give you this daughter and we, our household is linked there, as long as your family doesn't fuck up and shame us, we'll be in a better position for the next generation. But then who knows? You know, you're kind of gambling on your children, your progeny, and uh, using them as chess pieces, isn't it? The way they had the mirror coming out scene was a really interesting way of showing that. What as do you well. mean? Go on. Do they, uh, right, Dido and Elizabeth are both old enough to be, to old enough to come out into society, which is the weirdest thing, where it's basically, until you reach a certain age during this time period, you're cloistered in your house, you don't really see any men, and you just consider a child until a certain point, and then you are thrust out into society, you're expected to mingle, 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 make a good marriage, and then as soon as you're married, you cloister back into your house again, have some kids, and there's their turn. Yep. I mean, you know, it's a bit like uh, when a when a bitch comes into season, or like oh, just your coming oh. of age or something, isn't it? Like, you know, it's just, there you go, you are formally available. And then it's that the ticking clock for women, uh, you know, approaching their late 20s, where you'd be potentially signed off as a spinster. With the mirror coming out scenes, in two separate rooms, uh, Elizabeth is told that she will be coming out and going into society, but Dido is told that she won't be, and that she will be taking over from Lady Mary as the governess of the house. So essentially, she's being told, you're not going to marry anyone, you're going to stay here. And there are literal mirrors during this scene to show that what is happening to them is a the parallel. same thing but in reverse. Yeah, oh yeah, well it's like it's it's the 
you know, because you are different, you will be treated differently. And uh, it's not it's not fair, but it's also we're not being complete cunts here. We're just <laughs> we're just uh, doing what you know what we think tactically makes the most sense. What we there's a sort of well, obviously we've accepted you, but others can't be expected to accept you. Um, so we've decided this is happening this way. Also, there's another factor that they're sort of um, bringing up, which is Dido is financially fine because she's been left in a state. She has like what she's given X number of pounds a year to live off mm. of. So she's not going to be like she's she's financially going to be comfortable. Whereas that might not be the case for uh, Elizabeth, isn't it? That's a factor as well, and it's like the. I mean that there that's that's an element they play into it as as to a, a complication or a, a differing factor outside of her uh, race, I suppose. Anthony, mm-hmm. can you remember much of the speech in the carriage that was about women as property? I haven't written down very good notes. Um, which bit between? Um, Just after she's handed three of the them, keys. Um, no, it's just after the coming out scene and she's being offered the keys they go in a carriage somewhere and it's before they it's on their way to go to society it's that trip the only other note I can get you is that it's before they meet Smugly Longpipe which was <laughs> our name? name our name for uh, Lord Ashford before we knew he was Lord Ashford he was just Smugly Longpipe <laughs> <laughs> what, what information are you searching for here, Abby? It's just Elizabeth does a really good speech about how they're not allowed to have their own jobs and they're oh, if they if you don't have a dad or a brother or whoever that can look after you, then you're going to have to get married so that someone will look after you or you will be destitute. Christ. It's hard hard times being but it's not just about the problems of being, uh, you know, mulatto or whatever uh, in white privileged society, but also just being a fucking woman. What a chore. That's what I meant about this. all this stuff being oddly sanitised. Like they keep saying stuff that has, like, real depth to it and covers issues that are quite important. But they're so glossed over. Hmm. Weird. Do you have any uh, extra information you could bring to light, Anthony, or are we not able to? I mean, I don't know. No, I, uh, I don't quite remember that bit. Sorry. That's okay. She t- she spoke quite fast when she was saying it. I was like, no, slow down. People need to listen. Well, well, we have we have a lot of drama in a big corridor, and then a lot of uh, discussions are had in the in the back of a carriage because there's, there's quite a nice bit where. Uh, Dido's like, I'm going to go and meet that sort of a vicar guy that I've uh, argued with and then fallen in love with a bit. And she basically tells the driver, oh, take me like to this fucking pub or something by the docks. And he's like, uh, on your own? And she's like, you'll be with me. And it's like, oh, shit. Are you gonna... <laughs> you know, like, oh, God, I have to obey you because you're my boss, but also I am now... I'm utterly responsible for you if anything happens. So I felt really sorry for the driver being like, Christ, to take, <laughs> take this young lady 
I have to take this young lady to the fucking a dockside bar. How am I going to explain this? And it's like well, I just had to do what she see what I was told. Just before that, she gets a, offered a marriage proposal. By we need to talk about those people because they become quite important going forward. Yeah, it's weird actually trying to talk about it. Um, or started linearly, and then it's like, you know, there's just so many things that crop up, and they're all over the shop. Um, all on the same themes, but fundamentally there's loads of big, you know, uh, linchpin things that happen, isn't there? Because I, I was, I was just gonna, I was gonna go back to the part, part where, you know, this little girl is introduced into the family, and the uncle kind of uh, accepts her, and is like, actually, I could be, I've been a bit fucking hell, mate. Don't just dump this kid on us. And then actually, I'm quite nice, so we'll totally bring her up, and it's fine. But then they basically, the little girls meet each other lark about and then run around a tree and then they're like whatever the age it is where they're available to be put on the market or whatever so I mean we can't we can just launch into whatever but I I did think it was funny that they just went, ran around a tree and then were old enough <laughs> and like, we're going to be adult <laughs> actors now the, the, the adult actors are now in charge and Penelope Wilton is endlessly walking into that garden and telling them to shut up Stop acting like the French, you screeching <laughs> baboons. Yeah, it's funny how there's almost as much racism towards the French as there are anyone else in this film. Well, I think England were generally uh, at loggerheads, <laughs> to put it mildly, with the French at this time. So, yeah, I mean, being being like an illegitimate uh, mixed-race woman is not as bad as being a French person, <laughs> uh, to, as far as the English are concerned, you know, so... Mm. A lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, funny jibes at the French, but that's that's you know English English people were like that and Actually, are like that. Yeah. was low key funny in this. I I want to give her credit for that actually. Yeah, and she does a good job with the lines. She makes them work and has the right reactions. It's good stuff. And and just the way she kind of plays her character is like I like the duality of. Her, um, how do I put it? Like, uh, obviously, throughout it kind of hints at her story of now she's like a spinster and she's like had her chance mm. and kind of like let it go by. But then there's also the kind of, but she's accepted that and she's fine with it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, there's, there's like, um, from her perspective, it's all well and good for Dido to want to do other things because she shouldn't be treated differently. But it's almost like, well, if you are happily married and stuff, then you sort of like snubbing my role as like governess and spinster general, you know? So it's like she's in that position of, look, being me isn't so bad. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Mm. But yeah, she's like, she's basically the woman who sort of yeah, seems to be more responsible for the upkeep of these children and, and then women. And I, she does play it. She's always like pretty funny, but like, she she does nail this job. The job she has to do in this piece. Mm. The family was what I was. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get to, Lord Ashford is another well-to-do wig wearer <laughs> in society. Yeah. And he has a wife and two sons. The first son, James, will inherit everything. The second son, Oliver, will inherit nothing at all. Because so, he's younger, is that right? Yes. Which is a stupid rule. 
I mean, there's so. I mean, this is the whole thing with any Jane Austen thing. You've got a romance, but the romance can't take place because there's so many stupid rules of society in the way. That's pretty much how they go. Oh, the person I I I want to get laid and have a husband, but the person I'm truly in love with, we have all these like hurdles stopping us. Whether it's class, our parents decision to marry us set differently society you know gender problems uh, not knowing someone properly so that yeah i mean that kind of covers all of the problems in their society isn't it really that that one mm. thing of there's all these stupid rules in the way but go on so thinking that elizabeth will get money at some point brother one james it starts to woo her until he finds out otherwise and having no money for himself second son oliver actually proposes to Belle because she has money and he doesn't have as much of a problem with her being half black as the rest of his family yeah there's still an implication his family would or like the the mum is a big factor so the mum is a sort of more conventional stuck up bitch who obviously there's a problem with having a sort of dark-skinned person in the family and treated as if that's normal and fine and not some sort of lesser to them all or a shame on the family or yada yada but then yeah they're in the predicament of being the the sort of within their society they are the lesser family because they're not as rich or powerful or whatever Mm. and so the mum is definitely a fucking awful bigoted bitch clearly manipulating her circumstances for their own gain without any other concern and then one, the younger shot, no, the older shorter brother, uh, he's your kind of full dickhead. Um, you know, he's got all the classic things, chauvinism, vile, rapey hands. Oh, wait. Racist, <laughs> doesn't know. Did you say that was? The older shorter one? Yeah, I don't think that's what you said the first time. What was his name? James is the horrible one. With his uh, wig that tells you how much of a dickhead he is. That was it. Inspired wigging. There, <laughs> I, I would. I'd like to fantasize that on that day. The actor and the costume uh, director, they put that on his head, and they both looked at each other and went, "Yes, I look perfectly horrible." High five. <laughs> yeah, the the other brother is like he physically looks less sinister as a, as a person, but also they kind of play him as just a sort of, you know, if he. Yeah, he's not. He, you know, he's not exactly likable because there's a general sense of like class snobbery and and like misogyny, which is just you sort of accept it. Like, yeah, of course, all of the white rich people would be misogynistic. Society was misogynistic then, more so than ever. But like, but he's like the 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 younger brother's like less of a fucking prick and is a little more within his rights to be offended when Dido sort of tentatively agrees well she doesn't she agrees to a proposal from him and then rebuffs it and takes it back because she fucking got bigger plans or has found out more about the family and stuff isn't it well yeah it comes with okay there's a night party where he does that but he but she also sees Davinia again and we haven't explained at all why they give two fucks about each other According to the plot, yeah, I, yeah, I'll do it because um, it's it's both. I, I think it's one of the more interesting relationships 
uh, in terms of on paper. Um, because, like, uh, so Davinier is around because he wants to kind of become the apprentice of the Earl, who is like a judge and lawyer, um, a big-time judge and lawyer. Um, so he's around there. And then uh, I think in passing, um, like, Dido overhears something about a court case uh, involving um, slaves being, um, like, thrown overboard from a ship. Um, uh, and there's a um, a possibility that they were thrown overboard just uh, to claim insurance money on them. And that kind of, like, I think that's the first time she's kind of hearing about this because it seems like she's kept separate from his uh, profession and he does have like um, he does get angry later on when he finds out that um, uh, what's his name? Devenier? Yeah, Devenier, yeah. Um, is like telling her stuff and uh, kind of like filling her head with certain uh, ideology about it. And then, you know, and then their relationship grows then back and forth between between um, between them over um, their thoughts on, you know, slavery and and um, humanity and stuff like that. And uh, I thought it was a, a very good like I wasn't I wasn't quite expecting that from this film. Hmm. So it was nice. Um, however, I did. I didn't quite feel the chemistry between the two actors. Um, no, that was an issue. And whilst, like, you know, like, Devenier's got, like, um, he's got, like, principles and he's got, like, passion, it, he, he seems a little one-note. Yeah, he's, there, he's just a poster boy for, like, liberal thinking and ethics and human rights over... You know, profiteering, capitalism, and uh, just full-blown exploitation. So, you know, what he Dido fancies him, in a sense, because he's attractive and nice, and she's a nice person. And but it's like, what is it about him you like, other than he's up for equality, and and that that is something you agree with, I guess. And see, no, there could know. still be an element of settling. Because she can either settle for someone who is a good match in terms of her class, or she can settle for someone in terms of her um, feelings is the wrong word. But she still can only choose from the people who she actually meets. She meets very few people throughout the film. Yeah, well, this is the the cloistered lives of... uh aristocratic daughters and things. I mean, I mean, Kiss, I mean, the very fact that the dad would be miffed about her daughter finding about... Find, like, it's, it's not... In, to them, the women's place is not in the affairs of men. So, like, yeah, daughters, like, don't need to know about the world of politics because they'll never have a job in it. They'll never... Their opinions matter very little. Men rule the world, so... You know, the daughter, your opinion, your daughter's opinion doesn't matter whether she's black or white or whatever. Like, like piss off. This is like, it's not appropriate conversation at at a uh, at a lord's dinner table to discuss, you know, the politics of what's happening to, uh, just what's happening in the world with politics. It's just it's not not 
not their place. It doesn't concern them. You get get busy with crochet and shit, you know. So, contextually, it's not so much about race there. It's just about gender in that regard. You know, the <laughs> the fact, the complication being, of course, uh, Dido's people are the ones being exploited and taken from their country and. That's still fine and normal, but then you know, I mean, it's such a it's such an extreme case of injustice. The fact is, the film's only dealing with just not treating humans as property, even though slavery will continue. Just you know, <laughs> there's still human being. I don't know. It's it's so harrowing a fucking part of history. It's like even this film painting it as positively as possible is suggesting that. A breakthrough was made. Black people are now not property to be disposed of. They're humans to be treated however white people want to treat them, you know? But, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, it's like, watching this, you go, oh, fucking yeah. Oh, yeah. Life's awful. <laughs> and was terrible. Ugh. There's also that moment much later on where he says, uh, only time will tell if we've done the right thing here. Uh, so just sitting there in 2020 going, I honestly couldn't tell you. A lot of time has passed, and I honestly couldn't tell you if we've actually advanced. What I find a bit churlish is this co- This case is basically uh, between the, the, the merchants who have... Like, basically, some merchants who have picked rammed their boat full of slaves. They've let them... They've crammed them in such inhumane circumstances that they're possibly dying or, or diseased, or then they they've become in the white people, in the white people's view, they've become bad stock, not ill humans, and so they're like, oh fucking, we'll just throw the the black people slave, we'll just slow throw the slaves off and kill them, and we'll, and we can claim the insurance on it, and then in in the end, the court case is just well, technically it's still fraud, isn't it? Whether it's not a question of whether the slaves are human or not. The point is, you've thrown your stock overboard. You can't do that. You could have, <laughs> you can't fucking, you know, make this fraudulent claim. So it's, but it does paint, like the insurance company as on the side of good and pro, like equality. But it's nothing to do with that. It's insur- oh, an insurance company doesn't want to fucking pay out. Fucking surprise, surprise. <laughs> like, but the insurance company aren't noble for wanting to like not pay out. That's what their job is: never pay out, take everyone's money. <laughs> So it's it's kind of it's kind of weird that it's like painted as this, um, yeah, like equality thing, but it's not about that in the slightest. Even when the judge makes the more liberal choice to back the insurers and not pay out, it's not because black people were murdered, you know. What do you guys make of that? The fact that it's like, um. I don't know. Like you're meant to get behind the insurance, the insurers, and feel like the nice white men have done the right thing. I'm not prepared for the question. Mm. It's, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's sort of like it's not about them, really. It's like they're part of the court case, but it's the actual nub of the problem itself, rather than who's on what side. Hmm. And they were, and they kept saying, it's like, oh, but the traders, they're the, they're the financial backbone of England. It's, it's me from a 2020 just sitting going, you have no idea how much insurers <laughs> have sway now. Not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, um, 
you know, <laughs> the court case isn't about race at all. It's about whether or not, like, uh, the merchants should have called in a port and, like, got water- watered their the stolen human beings or not, and whether or not, like, it was appropriate to... Like, you know, the the, the boyfriend figure... What's his name? Davinier, De, De right? Is that what you said? Mm. So Davinier is about ethics, morality, and treating people as humans and not property. But that's not... That's not even vaguely what the court case is about. I mean, I think the director and the writers have conflated some court cases that the family were to do with, but that's just in an attempt to say, look, we want to tackle this part of history where there was this moment where um, the government and law had to consider what, where, where property began and fraud, and like you know, they had to tackle what is the, what does the law say about you know dealing with slaves and treating people and where the legal blame lies and things but it's you know it just, it seems it seems weird to tangle the two because it's it, it then it wasn't a question of you know ethics it was a question of technicality in, to be honest and fraud mm. <laughs> no there was no humanity in it i mean i guess it's a mild question in the back of a few people's heads but people didn't care about slaves at least the white people didn't care anyway. Probably, so, I mean, generally. Um, we mentioned this because after she's got the marriage proposal, she's sneaking out to go and see Davinia to talk about the court case. They're not especially hmm. romancing each other, which is partially what's stopping the chemistry, I think, where it's like this them secretly talking about a court case doesn't equate to the dating. There was one mm. scene up there, so there's like a party uh, where Davinier basically grabs her between two big planters or pots and uh, basically snuggles up in a surprisingly forceful way. And it's also like, oh, the white man grabbing hold of the black person, even though, you know, she's a lady. Like, there's, there's, there should have been an element of, why, sir, you go too far. But then there's also, well, these are, like, horny teenage girls who want men to take an interest. And you, it, you missed what? A, a detail. What's that? He did that because her family was coming and they're not supposed to see each other. So he pulled her into hiding. I would argue too close still, but <laughs> there was a reason so, but it's the first. It's the first example of saucy potential chemistry, and then it's also we get a really, uh, like, clear shot of the sister uh, cousin seeing them in the background, and like, oh no, it she's seen that this is going on. So it it sets up these like, um, you know, sp- spicy plot elements of romance and desire and stuff. But it, like you're saying, it, it's lacking. Thing. It's lacking the lust and the desire. It's more just about. Uh, formal engagements and appropriate behaviour, really. I don't know. For the era we're in now, that was such a chaste tryst in the bushes. Yes. I know it wasn't, like... It was the first time they'd ever been so close. But except for them just just sort of breathe hard a little bit, there was nothing to it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of sex appeal, basically all you're going to get is very corseted ladies... With their little boobs on platters for the for the men to enjoy, but like there's no real. It's not one of those sexy like wig dramas where people 
have unrequited love and write letters and want to get really saucy. These are like pretty formal teenagers uh, who their desire is to be married and happy because they've been brought up that way. It's not really about any genuine like uh, affection. It's about I. what I love about you is you don't treat me like property, which is That's a very low bar normally. She has an interesting little muse about it when they're in Bristol one time. And she says, it's like, well, I have money, so why am I getting married again? It's like, yeah, why oh, are you getting dear, married? Dear. The, the, <laughs> it's just the mistake you keep making is thinking that you have your own rights. You are a woman and not a white woman. So good. that's an end to that is how the attitude of the time would have been, I guess. Hmm. Um... The, way they frame, the way they frame it is... Uh... Uh, they're just like her. Her uncle is trying to give her the best possible position in society through the marriage, mm-hmm. um, and and it does say like um, the guy she's marrying, Ashford. I forget the first name. Mm. Not James. Oliver. Oliver. Uh, he's uh, pretty much like the only gentleman in quotation marks who's um, willing to have her. Mm. As so, to to marry him would be the most respectable position she can have in society, considering everything. Yeah, and she's not against it because she she accepts the proposal, albeit in a scene where she starts a sentence off where it seems like she's going to tell him to fuck himself, mm. <laughs> and then outside all the all the like. Uh, parents and guardians and even the sister outside like what's going on shut up we're listening in to the proposal <laughs> and then she finishes the sentences I actually will marry you even though I heavily implied that it wasn't going that way aha we're so happy let's not embrace <laughs> because class system and stuff There's that them listening at the door is another bingo card entry oh and then they just like women being so thrilled their daughters have married someone yeah, classic. I mean, it's all in the world of Jane Austen, commonplace. In the wake of the marriage proposal, they have a sort of garden party with the two families at the Ashford estate, I think. And that's where you get two things back-to-back, which I wouldn't put back-to-back necessarily. And that's where you've got this joke, where you've got this random baroness on a boat just going down the river saying, you know, she's very eligible to marry. You should go and marry her. <laughs> and But then you've also got older brother James assaulting Belle in the bushes. And I'm like, what are you trying to say here? I'm trying to say, you know, people are dickheads. See, it... it, 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 it <clears throat> It does what's needed, which you need a bit of uh, controversy. You can't. It can't just be, uh, you know, fairly robust conversations about the ethics of what's going on in in Britain at the time, the slavery case, and the the you know the what the merchants and the insurers are arguing about, and people's places in society. You can't have all that, and then not, you need a bit of something, and it, it, you know, to spice things up. But it does go just look, see, creepy boy one is gonna be a bit of a dick because he's jealous or you know he can't get over the fact that his mum has probably brought him up or society's brought him up to be prejudiced but obviously she's i mean this is the thing dido bell she's fucking hot 
There's no getting around it. She is obviously very like attractive. She's also wealthy. There's no reason to be not interested apart from oh racism, you know. So he is conflicted because he's a douche, and so he's like, oh, I fancy you, but I'm gonna be a dick because I'm a racist, and so I'm gonna be I'm gonna default to my arrogant male self and just be mean, but also grope you up to sort of because I'm a pervert and also I'm asserting power over you. Like, what can you do? You know, so he's a double douche. He's sexist and racist in one big, you know, gesture. I will say like the, that whole family had great casting uh, because like Miranda Richardson is always great at being like the, the bitchy evil woman. Mm-hmm. And then Tom, Tom Felton's always really good at being like the little shit and um, uh, was it like James Norton? Is usually he usually plays like the good guy, but there was something still weirdly sleazy about him. Yeah, because uh, he's he's the more agreeable of the family, but still he has to. You know, the thing is, they have a scene, don't they, where they're all formally meeting. The families are meeting, and they're all on uh, ridiculously decadent chairs in opulent rooms. And they have a like a piano recital aspect to the meet, like they've had food and whatnot. And we get the dialogue of the different families, where basically the the twat family are all d- discussing her Dido in a, in a kind of you know bigoted way, and more from a perspective of just, oh don't have sex with her, you know. Like there's a sort of obviously I expect my children to just fuck people and then dispose of them and only marry people if it's politically advantageous so it's very much like they sort of disrespect and have horrible views of Dido and her family and, and they talk about you know what they're doing and argue about it a little bit to give us a insight into why they're such pricks and then in contrast they show Elizabeth plays the piano and it's very nice and then Dido you're different. Do you want to have a go on the piano, even though you're different? Yes, of course I do. Oh my god! She's like fucking Mozart. She's amazing. She's rocking out on the piano. Oh, she's showing up her fucking shitty white sister, hasn't she? You know. So they mm. they do a lot with these like fuddy duddy rooms, and it's a it's a little weird when they're just like, wait, can everyone not hear each other? We're hearing them all have conversations separately. They seem quite loud in their disparaging remarks. You know. Sorry, there's a lot there, but any thoughts on the kind of the way that they present the two families? Um, it's not actually that much difference in them, sort of, tonally, per se. They do all have this sort of... It's that stiffness that you have to have when you talk to other people, because you're basically having a business meeting rather than a... Um, Casual... Like a, just a casual encounter where it's very much like, right, I'm here to talk about my son. You're here to talk about my daughter. Let's get down to business, shall we? Would you like, uh, qua- no, croissant, that's French. Wouldn't be having that. Yeah. <laughs> Cucumber sandwich. Ugh. Yes. Well, it, yeah, it's, it, it kind of the, it highlights the thing that happens in all of these this era peer drama where rich people are obeying so many formalities that it's all sort of innuendo. It's all innuendo and implication. Like, you know, you offend someone by not eating the last sandwich or by making a certain... It's by what you don't say or what what assertions you make. It's all, like, the subtle food. Like, that's that's what people love about Downton Abbey is 
people seem to be having such a drama about the littlest things by modern standards. But it is just, it's all par for the course, isn't it? It's all part of the daily politics of rich people. It's uh, it's all one big, like, bizarre social game you have to play. So it is it is a fascinating thing to, to sort of set your film during and, in, and involve all that aspect. Like, there's a lot of stuff you have to do right just to obey all the tropes. Like you have to do you have to do the work to make sure you, you know, get everything, all all, all the aspects of their life correct, so that all of the drama can unfold behind what they do and say, isn't it? Curiously, for a British film, not a lot of tea in this well, film. Well, that's hardly a complaint. I know. It's just <laughs> I I feel like it's like in every, it on the British bingo card. Tea. Well, they have breakfast. A lot of you know families having breakfast at the table, and then daughters falling out with fathers and mums being like, "Don't, oh, that's so rude!" And you know that's the classic, classic, isn't it? The old breakfast table adolescents arguing with their parents situation. True, and that did happen. Yeah, I think I think one aspect of this that's a bit like, "Oh, fuck off!" What are you talking about? Is Dido is used as a character for social change. Now, this is, you know, a painting of a of a cheeky-looking uh, aristocratic uh, woman is not someone who was a... You know, she isn't fucking Martin Luther King. She didn't change the world, presumably. And the fact is, there's a lot of liberties taken with what this woman could have done. I mean, not just like, oh, she could pop off to the pub and meet a guy that she shouldn't be. That's fine. But the fact is, she's so involved in the politics of it. Like, this judge would have been doing his own thing. To suggest that a a lawyer's or a judge's mixed-race niece that he has accepted in the family has anything to do with his decisions or has persuaded her in any way, be it around the breakfast table or the very fact that she marches in to the court case and watches the result. And, uh, you know, I don't even know that the court case happened and transpired the way they presented, but her involvement is in it as if it's some sort of social change she argued out of her uncle or in had any way, any way contributed is kind of a nonsense. Not exactly, because at the time that she... Um, not much is mentioned about Dido in actual uh, historic texts. Right. But she is mentioned at one point by, I think he was maybe an anthropologist or a sociologist, and he says that because she was raised in that society, she actually countered a lot of the um, common stereotypes of black people that couldn't be refuted. So... It's like a lot of people thought that they could not speak well, they could not learn niceties, they were like genetically common. Yeah. But because she had been born and raised, and she was like a very good example of a lady of manners and class, that it like shut a lot of people up because they couldn't say, "Oh, black people can't do this," because you can literally point to Dido and go, "Yeah, they can." Yeah, There's I mean, one now. as as an example to the bigoted views of the time, she her family did the right thing. They raised her and treated her uh, fairly within you know within parameters of what what would be acceptable. So they they did the right thing and raised her as like her father's daughter or whatever, and did 
they didn't say, oh, you're different, you should learn differently or be treated differently. So that that is good. But I'm saying there's a difference between like I'm not I'm not saying it's she was a bad figure or like it's nonsense that she would have had an effect on society, but it wouldn't have been a proactive one like they present in this that she's thirsty for knowledge and is actively like trying to defend or persuade like she's trying to twist her father's arm and and make a political case that this is important when you know it's all it's all use it's all speculation about you know it's the the writer the director whoever they're projecting this onto a character who really existed but didn't knowingly you know do anything per se do you know what yeah, I mean yeah it would be a much more of a passive thing where by virtue of existing she will have challenged attitudes of the time yeah and the uh, Lord, Lord Mansfield he would have it wouldn't have been possible for him to have not at least thought about her tangentially when dealing mm. with an issue like this. Yeah. So no, she wouldn't have actively done anything, but she would definitely have been in pe- in certain people's minds while it was going on. Yeah, and it, it, it's a sign that the family that were they were it, it suggests that they were a fairly liberal family, and you know it, it was more about. Uh, being fair that it is about selfishly doing whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Anthony, do you have something to say? Or? Uh, just that, just to back up Abby's point about, like a lot of prejudice comes from ignorance. And, you know, back in that day, you know, people, or like aristocratic people just wouldn't have been around um, many black people other than like servants who probably didn't talk or weren't expected to do much. Yeah, or slaves, um, isn't it, you know. Yeah, so like like Abby said, her, the mere fact that she was there as part of that society could would have more influence than than you could possibly think, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Because just, you yeah. know, just people would then c- can't be ignorant of that, you know, Black people are humans, just like the rest of us. Oh, what do you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, you know, and, and filmically, what you're going to do? You're going to just have her be this passive, nice. It's not not much of a story if you mm. write if you mm. write Dido as she was a nice lady and good. I think that what they do right is Belle or Dido. She is well mannered and pleasant, and the fact that she doesn't scream rape, rape, rape suggests that she's bigger and more mature and like. You know, she she's within her rights to be like call bullshit on it, and she tells her sister and gets to, she deters her family from uh, and her sister from any involvement with that awful racist family. But she, she, you know, the fact that she is so pleasant, she's being brought up so nicely and is so well mannered. You know, she could easily uh, have acted like an entitled bitch or been. She 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 very much falls in line with polite society and gives a good example of being well-mannered. So I think the film does the right thing there and of saying, look, you get more by tolerating people at at some points than you would if you cry for... I don't know, like, it sort of, it sort of says through... Don't give in to them, isn't it? It's saying, like, you you can be bigger than other people and then if you persist with what you believe in and feel is right and play the game a bit, you'll get further, isn't it? Mm. Not yep. that not that everyone should play the game. Just you know, the film is 
it it it, pre- it does present her as she is a good person and is ladylike and has virtue and that uh, that is her strength not that she you know she doesn't like become the black panthers or anything mad she her strength is through her like character not some bizarre made up actions that she might have done mm. i will say one thing though when they when like i'd never seen the painting before um that this was based on so when i when they did show it at the end it was um it was a lot more remarkable than I thought it was going to be. And it actually is quite interesting. A little more interesting than the film actually, I kind of found. That's well, that when... you, you've, you've got a metaphor already. Just <laughs> sit in there. <laughs> so well, like when you actually do see it and you uh, see Dido's exotic kind of almost mischievousness... It feels like there's more of a story there than what this film's actually portraying, if you know what I mean. Yeah, if, if anything, the film presents Belle as if she's a very formal but, uh, you know, questioning girl. Whereas the painting is evocative of someone, like, a, a happy, privileged part of the family that's cheeky and di- but different. Like, she, you know... Mm. I think it's quite telling that they they set up the fact that oh you're going to paint me I must be accepted in the family if you're willing to paint me so they they have a formal painting done and the, so the artist is setting up his palette and you know we we know that the painting is going to get made and then as it's revealed we have a nice shot of the oh there's the gentle genteel white daughter and then pan back and then actually the painting we see in the film is not the, the uh, reproduction of the painting or well you know it's they've done a version of it so that it looks more like the actress in formal clothes and then the actual painting is like a woman who clearly like there's the the formal white girl sitting down in her dress and then behind her or next to her is the, the sort of like touching my li- lip cheeky grin of a clearly you know formal but slightly more exotically dressed girl with like I think she's got like a some sort of turban with a an ostrich mm. feather in and she looks she looks lovely and sweet and it is a very evocative nice painting and then in the film it's like oh it's just no it's just the actress looking nice as well when she's dark skinned so <laughs> good and it's just like oh the, like the painting's better than the painting you've replaced uh, sorry the painting you've replaced is better than the one you're saying oh look the actress looks like the I don't know I mean she doesn't look like the painting but it, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think you're right, Anthony. The the painting says more hmm. about her as a person. It says more, even if it's not true. It says something interesting. It's really evocative, really good painting. And then this piece is like, well, maybe... I don't know. I feel like the character of Belle is blander than the image of Belle. Is that what you, is that what you mean? Or? Yeah, um, it's just... Yeah, like, it's... It feels like a really unique story, yet it's still told in a really conventional way. Because it's, it's constantly falling back on this aspect of romantic drama, isn't it? Like, I'm not going to be fo- foisted into this marriage of, uh, you know, convenience. I want to be with the man I love, or he loves me, and we respect each other at least. And I, we'll all live happily ever after kind of vibes of like it's not much of a struggle really not as much as it fucking could have been based on the cons based on the 
the time period and the the goings on and it's like this you know opportunity to do something more daring and more controversial and darker or even go just go more daring places and it is just like but we're being a Jane Austen so the girl has to eventually rebel slightly and meet the guy and tell her daddy that she actually wants to marry this man not that man and it's you can't how dare you but also oh go on then you know very conventional the same vibe off this as I did a few episodes of Star Trek, the original series recently, where they'd do a topic or they have an ending that was actually quite uh, controversial or sad because something bad had happened. But then they'd make a joke and have the whimsy music at the end and pretend like everything was fine and that it'll be back to normal next week. And you're like, no, no. Hmm. No, we're, we're not pretending that this is fine. Yeah. You get the same thing with this, where it's just like, oh, because romance went out in the end and we won the court case, everything is fine. It's like... It's not, though. It's not, though. Slavery definitely continues for hundreds of years, and the court case did not do much of anything apart from mean some insurers didn't have to pay out, and that maybe a couple... Maybe it was the, one more step towards like progress in terms of social rights and fairness and you know stuff but it wasn't it wasn't some important thing that changed the world which is i think a little bit what it's sort of framing it that way if it's not outright saying it i'm sure you know if you look back at it in context you can see it as a a piece of the puzzle leading up to yeah like the abolishment of slavery but like on its own it just feels like it is. It's just like it's just like an insurance fraud claim that was found out. Yeah, and it's like it, it doesn't. It doesn't quite have the impact I think it's trying for. But yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure in the history of things, it was an important stepping stone on the way to it. Yeah, I mean, it's a part. It's a part of history. Uh, you know, and you know, like like we've sort of said, it, her acceptance within the family was more significant than the court case to uh, sort of perceptions, even in the small privileged world that they were in. But um, yeah, it, 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 the film the film isn't just trying to be about the politics. It it very desperately wants to be a period drama, obeying all mm-hmm. of the romantic tropes of period dramas. And so it, it successfully does it. Everything's polished and well done. There's the right mm. amount of jokes and, and little moments and uh, like hurdles and drama. And then, but still, there's still elements of like, well, the, who is this bloke? He's no one as a, he's not very interesting as a person. I mean, so I guess Mr. Darcy as a love figure isn't that great, but he at least has the complication of being an arsehole who has a heart of gold or I don't know, <laughs> like there's there's sometimes a little more character complexity in other period dramas but you know it, it's surface level romantic stuff isn't it some of the time <clears throat> the thing i think if they want to appeal to a mainstream audience they have robbed this of its potency yeah mm. so it, and yeah. it's a shame because it could have been really good or you could have done a more unconventional piece about all of these themes, and you could look and examine, you know, how people would have felt felt dealing with prejudice. Or I don't know you can have all that heavy shit in there, but also tell a more original story or believable. I mean, it's not that it's not un, it's not incredibly unbelievable. It's just 
it takes liberties to make a point and to have the the crescendos and the it 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 it, it, it tries to deliberately have the format of movie land you know where, where we have to have the the beats of convention fulfilled mm. and that's frustrating in a way yeah so you know it's it's a, it's a it's a mixed it's a mixed bag for what it's doing and trying to achieve isn't it a bit just like a mixed to... race no it's not like that <laughs> just to round off what we were saying earlier uh, her dad finds out that she's been secretly seeing uh, de Vignier on the side. They have an argument in a carriage. In the wake of that and an argument with uh, Elizabeth, she breaks off the engagement. And then once uh, Lord Mansfield has, has given his verdict in support of the insurance company, he then he infers that he is going to elevate Sivinier so that he gets to a good status to marry Dio rather than her marry down. He's going to arrange for him to come up. Yes, it's like a little clever workaround to make things... like It's like, yay, look, compromise. We can get around. If we all try hard enough, we don't have to change anything. If society can remain the same, we just have to work a little harder to get around the red tape a bit. Hooray! Um, but yeah, I mean, the implication is uh, they all lived happily ever after. There, are, you know, it is there is some drama in confrontations with father figures in back of in the back of carriages and uh, getting uh, like the argument she has with her sister is quite interesting because the sister is arguing and it looks like she's going to be, it's because you're black that you're a fucking bitch. And it's actually like, you're... And then what's the word she says? Like, uh, illegitimate. And it's like, but... You, and then Belle can be like, but you are the one who's also illegitimate. You cannot... I am not different from you, yada, yada. So they they don't have the obvious fallings out of eventually the white people start being racist within the family and, you know... Mm. Like they don't go for the obvious uh, too often, but it does. But then it 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 still falls into the conventions of drama, I suppose, as well. While avoiding kitchen sink type shit, you know. I don't know. I I just there also there are also shades of uh, Princess in the Frog about this with the two uh, princess type characters. One's white, one's black. And one of them has all the hopes of marrying, and all the other ones have resigned to their life of um, mundanity. And so uh, there was times in this like, God, it's like Disney's Princess and the Frog, isn't it? No one turned into a frog, though, thankfully. Yeah, that's why I thought it was odd that you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is the bit after the court case where an alligator plays a tiny trombone. That's also similar. Okay. Oh, I don't think that happened, did it? I'm getting confused. <laughs> anyway, so we looked at the film Bell. You know. Mm. Uh, what, if anything, is our sort of conclusion and metaphor then? Well, for me, like I said before, I just felt it was. It's just, it's a unique story, or at least it should be a, quite a unique story. But it's told in such a conventional way. It doesn't. I don't feel it quite does its justice. It's not um, bad. Yeah, like, I, I can't. 
you know, like we 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 uh, praised like uh, like the hair and makeup and the production design. Um, it's just I, I felt it was lacking a bit of flair uh, and a bit of flavour that this kind of more unique story kind of needed. It doesn't quite work this metaphor, but it's you know it's something it's a it's a present, it's a nice present, but it's packaged badly. I don't think that quite works. It's like someone, oh, you're into that. I got you this. It's like, well, technically, you got be something that's on point, but it isn't that you don't actually, you haven't actually nailed the brief there. <laughs> that kind of, oh, yeah, I see what you were going for thing, is it, or no? Uh, kind of. I'm finding this hard to articulate into a metaphor. But essentially, it's just something unique that deserves to stand out more than it does. Hmm. Yeah, like maybe it's more like like framing a painting where you've got this great painting and you've put it in a in the in a frame and you've mounted it on the wrong in the wrong place to not you're not accentuating what was so awesome about it by you've kind of like gone oh no you've inappropriately hung and paint framed it so that it doesn't quite uh, doesn't no it's not yeah, emphasizing what's great you're not making you're making it about the framework rather than the actual piece itself perhaps yeah i like that it's it's a it's a lovely painting but it's in an ugly frame in a dark corridor you've lit it wrong if we maneuver some things mm. it will work it'll accentuate the painting rather than you know worrying about how it's presented i guess or or more like it's you know it's um it's an ex- expressionist painting in a room full of um, realist paintings, so like the the lighting and the space is all set up for them to look the best, but then that that lighting and space doesn't necessarily work for this more unique painting. Yeah, you're sort of missing the what should be the focus and the focal point in the room mm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that's true. I think um, in in a way. The fact that the character Dido Bell, whatever, because she is someone, she is the other, she is the different person, she's a minority trying to fit in with the majority, is it, it, it does have to be a film about being unremarkable. That what's remarkable about her is that thing of, oh, you should be being treated differently, or we would normally treat you differently, but you've done really well to fit in and not rock the boat. And therefore, we all have to redraw the parameters of what's normal or acceptable. So, you know, in a way, the film does that by going, well, we wanted to make a point about uh, race and prejudice and diversity. So what better way to make that than to make a Jane Austen type film, but featuring a black protagonist? Um, So it kind of goes, you know, look at all these white women period dramas full of the same old white women-y like class system romance and shit we can stick this one in as well and this is a nice diverse like project like we've got look it's the black jane austen character it looks he can fit in and it, oh it does it fits nicely in the jigsaw piece you know and um that in, in its own way is commendable that you're making a, a typical period drama featuring uh, a black protagonist with you know uh black people making it as well you know it's not it doesn't feel like a token attempt to 
make something. It does feel like a genuine attempt to fit in with everything. So I, I think that's kind of what's going on a, a little. Yeah, so like for me, it's a bit like making a black Barbie doll where you go, yeah, of course, the Barbie doll range should all... It should feature some diverse races. You can't just... Just having all prissy, thin, blonde girl Barbies. Yeah, maybe Barbie and her mates should be a bit more ethnically diverse. And uh, there can be, uh, you know, a, a black Barbie doll, and that's fine. And it's it's good, but it's also, well, you're making a fucking Barbie doll. Like, there's enough fucking problem. There's enough, you know, conforming to uh, stereotypes and putting women and girls in a box one way. So, and like, that's the thing where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a Barbie doll. You may have given... You may have changed her skin colour, but is she still, like, perilously thin? It, yeah, is, is have, it still conforming like, to, uh, you know, stereotypes of beauty and uh, materialism, isn't it? Like, there's still a lot of problems with the idea of little girls being raised with Barbies. And so, you know, this is, well done, you're providing another period drama. This time, uh, you know, it's it, it's it stands out for at least representing a different demographic or having not left out a race or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's nice that you've done a, a Jane Austen-esque period drama, but it's still a Jane Austen-esque period drama that comes with all the usual baggage and problems of doing those sorts of things. And it's not to say that they're bad. It's just, you know... That that's why I think it's it's metaphorically appropriate. It's oh well done, yeah, black Barbie doll. That's good. That's nice for the girls who like this sort of thing to have that. And anyway, you can play with a white or a black one, no matter what your race is. It doesn't. You can you don't have to have your color matched to be able to find uh, inspiration and joy in something. But it's good to have the diversity, but it is still within the realms of like oh, another fucking period drama about women desperate to get married to men of course you know still that world isn't it it's still the world of mm. historical chauvinism and this idea that women all should just settle down and do do as they're told and try and conform well that's the thing it sort of annoys me that she did conform in the end where it's like well yeah she married for love but at the same time it's like she didn't necessarily have to get married so she had she had financial security anyway so it would have been more unusual for her not to get married especially because in real life she didn't get married until she was 32 so she didn't have to get married then so it does it does it suggests basically she got see that that's the thing is i there's a there's a little bit i haven't read a lot about this but there was a suggestion there's a lot of historical inaccuracies and you go, yeah, I mean, it felt it felt like it, but also, you know, I mean, what's wrong with becoming a governess, right? I guess. You could be a spinster if you want. It's not even, shouldn't even demonise that. But then, yeah, I don't know. It, it it was incredibly different as well. So, I mean, I don't know, that, that's what my metaphor's about anyway. Like, it, it's not bad that there are black Barbies. It's not bad that there are Barbies. It's just, you know, it's still fitting a template after all and you know mm. why why not do something more out there but then yeah it's, it's the dual thing isn't it yay you've you've joined in and created diversity also you've joined in that's a shame 
<laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's it's funny to pour over the the stuff like this because it is just a like a film about a thing. It makes you think and it entertains you. So it's it's entertaining. I mean, just like playing with Barbie dolls is. If that's your thing, you like hanging. If you like, you know, purchasing dolls and having a story and telling some tales or dicking around, then that's fine. And this does that, and you can enjoy mm-hmm. it for what it is as well. So I don't mean to be like disparaging with my metaphor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, that's enough of me thinking about it. But what about you, Abigail? You picked it. You can have the last say. Well, it's well, like we talked about a little bit earlier on. The original painting itself has so much more sort of whimsy and character to it. There's just a sense of this film being defanged that's disappointing to me. It's, it's weird you say that because the the fanged element. People, I, one of the things I read while I was looking up the IMDb or something was that critics said, oh, it's nice to see a period drama with some fangs and that it dealt with the sort of ethics and the the sort of uh, court case and things, I suppose. But you're saying, oh, it doesn't have fangs because it's so conventional or whatever. I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to make a film that fell in with a certain crowd of films so that how you feel about it rests on the subject matter, not the method. Where it's yeah. like they just want you to engage with what actually it is talking about, not the way that it's saying it. Yeah, wh- why not? It's like we're highlighting an interesting part of social history through a medium of romantic, filmic, drama, storytelling. You know, like it's... get You get people interested in the subject if you get them in to watch a kind of nice romantic romp, isn't it? Mm. But then at the same time, it doesn't make sense that this film is both a romantic... A romantic drama. It's not even a romantic comedy. It's a romantic drama and it's about this court case and they don't mesh very well. Hmm. It's sort of, it's another one of those films that really should have picked one or the other, probably. And it could still have addressed both, but it's given it its 50-50 sitting, it's really odd, because it's, it's not a romance, but it's not a court drama either. Yeah, and because it, if it, uh, you know, it's not historically accurate so you can't even go well it's you know keeping a piece of history alive it's adjusting history to make a point isn't it so it's not even uh we're telling the story as accurately as possible it's going we're using history to tell a conventional story so i do like it in the end I don't think maybe it's what Anthony was saying, where the chemistry between the two romantic leads wasn't great. Well, so I, that didn't yeah. help. I think uh, what's the name? Uh, Gogo, Gugu? Is that is that the name of the actress? I think it was Gugu, wasn't it? That's a, that's a lovely name, isn't it? Gugu. <laughs> um, so Gugu has this ability to. She's she's got she's got the better role. The boyfriend 
material, the lawyer guy, he has a few heated conversations about ethics, morality, and he gets to be on the in the court or pre the court case. He gets to be with all the younger, less white wigged old men. So he's with the liberal types who want to change things, but he's not not really interesting. Whereas uh, Google gets to play Bell with uh, withdrawn. She has to subtly tell you about her and she she has a deeper role Dido is, is a much better character to be and to play because there's more things she has to do she has to behave properly and be indignant but not cross the line she's sort of walking a tightrope in her class and so mm. I think I think she did a really good job of both being a, a Giving it, giving depth to the character, but also she has to be a, a beautiful palette because it's a romantic film. So of course she's a young, attractive woman. So you pick an actress who's young and attractive. So I suppose my metaphor is the paintings, the, the paintings themselves, the painting they produce in the film, compared to the original painting, where the painting in the film is just a more boring. It's not like. It's still well made. It's well crafted. It just lacks that charisma that the original does. And I think that's probably the only word I can say for it is that this film isn't especially charismatic. It doesn't do anything wrong. It just doesn't have it. Yeah, it's it's competent without being overly remarkable. I suppose. I think you're right, though. I think the painting metaphor works because, yeah, in the film, the painting in the film is retconned to look more like the actress, and in reality, the painting's really great. And you've retconned, and you, but and her story in real life might have been really interesting, and you've retconned it to be this pseudo-political romance. And so maybe in altering history and altering what the painting looked like, you've done a disservice. To what was so interesting about it, mm. and then you know, we do, we we we're never going to know her life, so they, it would always be speculation. So well, that's the thing is, so little was known of her that there was always going to be a lot made up. Yeah, you have to project. Story. You have to project onto her life what you want to say. Yeah, but it, it is good. It's a good painting, and even the retconned, altered version is still it still works. You know, surprising. Look, the contrast in the two different girls while simultaneously looking both like privileged kids, you know, whatever. Mm. So yeah. Oh, well, I think Abby now the bell tolls for us all and we should end the podcast. We're putting that court case to bed and catch us next time for another furious debate and discussion of another film another time. Join us again. Love you. Bye. Love you, bye indeed.